0: Welcome to Jazz Piano Skills, I'm Dr. Bob Lawrence. It's time to discover, learn, and play jazz piano. Last week, we started using neighboring tones, lower neighboring tones and upper neighboring tones to begin disguising scale and arpeggio motion. And we use those neighboring tones at the beginning of our musical phrase. We used our lower and upper neighbor, neighboring tones at the start. This week, today, we're going to take our same approach, our lower and upper neighboring tones, and we're going to add them to the end of our musical phrase. So we're actually going to have them in both places, at the beginning of our musical phrase and at the end of our musical phrase. So it's going to be great fun. But before we jump in and do that, I do want to take a second. You know, last week I presented some musical facts that are very important for all of us to keep in mind as we continue our journey to becoming accomplished jazz pianists. And I just want to take a second and I want to recap. I want to go through those musical facts once again. So important that these musical facts, as I expressed last week, become your mantra, your, uh, your battle cry, if you will, what you live by when studying and practicing music, especially jazz. I know some of you may, may be thinking, man, he's a little dramatic about these musical facts, but but I assure you, I am not. This is big stuff. So I want you to dial in once again, and I want you to pay very close attention to what, I, what I'm going to share with you regarding these musical facts. So here's a, here's just a really quick review. Okay. Musical fact number one, there are only two directions a musical line, a melody can travel. We talked about this last week, right? Two directions, up or down. And that's it. Again, I can take any piece of music from any genre. I can circle all the ascending motion, all the descending motion. And guess what? When it's all said and done, the entire melody of the entire piece would be highlighted in circles because the melody is either going up or going down. And again, most people never think about this musical fact. And if you don't think about it, I guarantee it, you do not practice it. So the bottom line is simply this. When you're practicing, are you consciously aware of the direction of your musical lines? Are you intentionally ascending, and if so, why? Are you intentionally practicing descending motion, and if so, why? And not just why, but how. And that's really at the heart of last week's uh, podcast episode, and certainly at the heart of this podcast episode as well. Okay, musical fact number two. In music there are only two types of motion a musical line, a melody, can use when traveling up or down, right? Musical fact number one, a musical line can either go one of two directions, up or down. Musical fact number two, that, mu- that, that line, that melody, can only utilize scale or arpeggio motion when going up or down. And once again, I can take any piece of music from any genre, Circle all the scale motion using a red pencil and circle all the scale, uh, all the arpeggio motion using a blue pencil. And when done dissecting this entire piece, I guarantee you the melody from the start to the finish, to the very end of the piece, would be highlighted in red and blue circles. Right? Again, it's a musical reality. That most people give very little thought to, if any, because when you talk about a musical fact of uh, melody traveling up or down, or musical melody utilizing either scale or arpeggio motion, most people want to discount it as "Wow, man, man, this is like really basic stuff. Can we can we get on to the good stuff?"
1: <laughs> and the
0: reality of it is. This is the good stuff, right? This is the core. This is the 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 most fundamental understanding of music and how it works that you must have a command of and it must shape how you approach practicing music when sitting at the piano. So if you're sitting there and not and you're trying to develop jazz vocabulary and you're doing so without an awareness of the direction that your line is moving and why. And what type of motion your line is moving, uh, utilizing, scale or arpeggio. If those two things aren't at the forefront of your mind, you are not consciously aware of them when practicing, then uh, I, I want to say that you're just practicing wrong. But I will go... I will say this. I, okay, I won't go that far, but I will go this far. I will say that however you're practicing will not produce the same results. In fact, the results will be minimized instead of maximized if these two musical facts are not at the core, at the center of what you're doing and how you're practicing. One quick side note too, when I talk about arpeggio motion, and I made this point last week, we all want to think of arpeggios as being thirds, and that's not, that's not true. An arpeggio can be, can utilize force, an arpeggio can be octaves for heaven's sakes. So an arpeggio really uh, is any motion that is greater than a minor or major second. I'm going to say that again. Any motion greater than a minor or major second is arpeggio motion. Of course, minor and major seconds would be would point you to scale motion instead of arpeggio motion. So again, I just want to make sure that we have an understanding how we're defining arpeggio. It's not just uh, a sequence of thirds going up and down. It can be fourths, it can be fifths, it can be an octave for heaven's sakes. And again it's with this understanding that I can sit here today and tell you that all melodies are using either scale or arpeggio motion regardless of the genre classical jazz country rock you name it right again this is so important to understand all melodies and all music from any genre are composed using ascending and descending scale and arpeggio motion, right? Let me say it again. All melodies and all music from any genre are composed using ascending and descending scale and arpeggio motion going either up or down. Two very important musical facts that should be guiding everything you do when you are practicing. Okay, real quick, I just want to sneak in here a reminder that every Thursday evening, 8 p.m. Central Time, I am live online using the Zoom platform. I know you know about Zoom. Everyone knows about Zoom. Zoom is all over the place. So anyway, this platform, the Zoom platform, I conduct an online masterclass, an open discussion, and a deeper dive into the current week's podcast episode. So this Thursday evening, we will be expanding our discussion and exploration of lower and upper neighboring tones uh, to y- utilize in shaping our jazz vocabulary, our jazz improvisational ideas. I, uh, of course, I always leave room within the hour-long class. It's one hour from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. Central Time. I always leave uh, time within the hour class for some Q&A. So that way, uh, everybody's participating in the conversation. And also it gives you an opportunity to ask some questions that uh, may be uh, at the forefront of your mind regarding jazz and jazz improvisation, questions uh, involving other jazz piano skills, uh, not just the neighboring tones. So mark it on your calendars, Thursday evenings, 8 p.m. Central Time. Join me online. It is definitely a value-added, as I like to say, educational opportunity that you do not want to miss. And the the Zoom link is posted on my Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook pages. So if you are not following following me, be sure to follow me and get access to this link. It's also uh, posted on the homepage at the Jazz Piano Skills website. So I look forward to seeing you and meeting you and discussing jazz piano with you this Thursday evening, 8 p.m. Central Time. Okay, so let's get back to our musical facts, okay? Musical fact number three. There are five, five primary sounds of music. Major, dominant, minor, half diminished, and diminished. That's it. Five. And you must have a command of these five primary sounds conceptually, right? All, all progress begins upstairs, right? You have to understand it upstairs first, conceptually, which then drives your physical development. And your physical development actually drives your ear training, your oral skills, all right? So the command, those five sounds, must be ingrained in you conceptually, physically, and orally. Now, of course, as I mentioned last week, the million-dollar question always is, how do I efficiently and how do I effectively accomplish a command of these five primary sounds? In those three ways, conceptually, physically, and orally. You know what? That's interesting too, because most people practice without an understanding that all three of those um, uh, dimensions must be uh, in sync. They must be actively engaged when practicing. Otherwise, the development that you're hoping for in the success that you're hoping for is simply not going to happen. So when I mentioned earlier that you have to be consciously aware of musical fact number 1 a line going up or down musical fact number 2 that line is either using scale or arpeggio motion well just like just like those two musical facts where I said hey you got to be consciously aware of what you're doing there uh, you you likewise you have to be consciously aware of am i Am I mentally plugged in when I'm practicing? Am I conceptually understanding what it is I'm trying to do? Number two, am I physically executing it correctly? Am I using the correct uh, hand motion, correct fingerings? Am I approaching this the right way? And number three, are my ears engaged? Am I actively aware of, consciously aware of that I'm playing major versus minor versus dominant? versus half-diminished, diminished. diminished. I mention this because uh, most students are not. They simply are not. That practicing becomes just kind of a physical physical activity, a physical reflex that they do. And then they hope that by just kind of repeating behavior over and over again, that somehow that behavior leads them to the success that they're hoping to obtain. And that's... (laughs) There is simply very little guarantee, if any at all, that that's going to happen with kind of going through the motions. In fact, I would say it's not going to happen. So to answer that million-dollar question, my answer is always this. The most efficient and effective way to accomplish a command of the five primary sounds of music is to practice them using a systematic and methodical approach. Right? Kind of makes sense. You have to have a systematic and methodical approach to practicing the five primary sounds. And that systematic and methodical approach should have at its core an understanding of ascending and descending scale and arpeggio motion. Musical facts number one and number two. Right? So musical fact number three needs musical fact number one and number two. And one more quick point along these lines, most students, when I ask them how and why and what they're practicing, the what, why, and how of, of practicing, they cannot answer that. They cannot, believe it or not, well, they may be able to answer what? Oh, I'm practicing scales. But when you press them to answer why and how, things become foggy very, very quickly. I just want to make sure that that doesn't happen to you. Okay, musical fact number four. There are only 12 notes in music. That's it. That's our tuning system. 12 notes. There are no more. There are no less. And each of the primary sounds of music, major, dominant, minor, half, diminished, and diminished, can be constructed from each of those 12 notes. Which then brings us to musical fact number five. There are 60 chords in music, right? 12 notes times five primary sounds equals 60 chords. That's it, 60 chords. There aren't three, there aren't thousands, there's not infinity, right? There are only 60 As I like to tell students all the time, starting off on their jazz journey, I always uh, pound into them, hey, look, you can do this. One chord a day for 60 days, approximately two months, and you have learned the 60 chords of music. You have the 60 chords of music under your hands. And that is a huge accomplishment. And not only is it a huge accomplishment, it is literally the foundation upon which everything in music is built upon. So the five primary sounds of music, it's important to know, can be played harmonically. For example, I can play this uh, C dominant chord harmonically, like a chord, boom, right? Bang, there it is. And I can play it melodically. And how can I play it melodically? As a scale? or as an arpeggio. So in my left hand, I have the chord. In my right hand, I have the scale or the arpeggio. I like to say I have a solid, right, like an ice cube, a solid. And I have a liquid in my left hand, and I have a liquid in my right hand, water, or an arpeggio there right? Seems really basic, but it's not. It's so important for you to understand this, right? Sound, musical sound can be played harmonically and melodically. Harmonically is in a solid form. Melodic representation of that sound is in a liquid form. So important. And the liquid form is what? Either scale or arpeggio motion. So now we are right back to where we started this conversation. Five musical facts, we're right back at the beginning. There are only two directions a musical line, a melody can travel up or down, and it can only do so using scale and arpeggio motion. And that's what we set out to do last week. We used scale and arpeggio motion, and we began the process of what I, what I'd like to say, disguising scale and arpeggio motion, because that's all we got. So we have to disguise it. And we use devices like lower and upper neighboring tones to do just that. So last week we started that process. We, we uh, applied lower and upper neighboring tones to our entry point. And today we're going to apply the lower and upper neighboring tones to our destination point. In other words, from the beginning of our musical phrase to the end of our musical phrase. Okay, before we go any further, I just want to uh, make sure that you are all aware that the educational guides for this podcast episode uh, devoted to neighboring tones the guides are available for immediate download at jazzpianoscales.com. And if you are a regular listener, you know that I develop three educational guides for every jazz piano skills podcast episode, which can be downloaded individually. If you only want guide number one or number two or number three, you can do so individually, or you can uh, purchase them, download them as a bundle. The, uh, Guide number one, the illustration guide, helps you discover the jazz piano scale. How? Conceptually, right? Imagine that. The imagery, the graphics are amazing. They will help you gain a intellectual, mental, conceptual command of the jazz piano scale. And as I mentioned earlier, it is your conceptual understanding that drives your physical growth. So the illustration guide, guide number one, is designed specifically to help you do just that. Uh, Guide number two, the lead sheet guide, uses traditional music notation to help you successfully learn the jazz piano skill. How? Physically. And again, as I mentioned earlier, your conceptual understanding drives your physical development. Well, the lead sheets are designed to help you Expedite your physical development. The lead sheets are available, uh, all 12 keys, not just one key, the key that I illustrate in within the podcast episode, but they are laid out and notated in all 12 keys. Simply invaluable. And uh, guide number three, the play along guide, are the play along tracks again for all 12 keys. And these are designed to help you what? Play the jazz piano scale being taught in the podcast episode. The play long tracks are absolutely essential and necessary to help you develop a strong sense of internal time, proper jazz feel and articulation. And I say this all the time as well, right? There's not a teacher in the world that can teach you time. Simply impossible. You have to experience time in order to develop time. And and there's no better way to do this than the utilization of technology today and the utilization of play-along tracks. So um, make sure that you check out all three guides. The illustration guide, the lead sheet guide, the play-along guide. I cannot stress enough how beneficial uh, these guides are for expediting your discover, learn, and play process. They're going to maximize your musical growth. So go to jazzpanelskills.com. Right there on the homepage, you'll see the podcast link that is in the menu bar that runs across the top of the page. Just click on that link and you'll be good to go. You'll see an entire uh, menu uh, of the various podcast episodes uh, throughout not just this season, but last year's season uh, that you can Uh, Click on the link of the lesson that you want to study and you will be taken directly to that podcast and have access to those podcast guides. And as always, if you download the educational guides and begin utilizing them and you have questions, you can always send me a quick voicemail message using the SpeakPipe widget that is nestled right, right beneath each podcast episode. Or you can post your question in the Jazz Piano Skills Forum and let the Jazz Piano Skills community help you. Or come on and attend the Thursday evening Jazz Piano Skills Masterclass at 8 and get your questions answered face to face. Right? So many ways. I try to provide so many ways for you to get help and assistance as you. Uh, Discover, Learn, and Play Jazz Piano. My goal is simple. I want to provide you with the best jazz piano lessons, the best jazz piano educational materials, and the best jazz piano support that is available anywhere today. Okay, this week, this podcast episode, you are going to discover lower and upper neighboring tones lower and upper neighboring tones on the end of our musical phrases. You're going to learn how to use neighboring tones as harmonic ornamentation, not just at the end, but at the beginning as well. And you're going to play neighboring tones from various harmonic entry points, from the root, from the third, from the fifth, from the seventh, and even from the ninth. So regardless of where you are in your jazz journey, a beginner, Intermediate player, an advanced player, or you may be an experienced professional either way, you are going to find this podcast this lesson to be very beneficial so as I have already mentioned, our goal for today we actually want to um, we want to begin we want to utilize a, a systematic and methodical approach to developing jazz vocabulary using lower and upper neighboring tones to disguise ascending and descending scale and arpeggio motion, right? I wanna say that again. We we want to use a, a systematic and methodical approach to developing jazz vocabulary using lower and upper neighboring tones to disguise ascending and descending scale and arpeggio motion. So last week we started that process by applying lower and upper neighboring tones to the start of a musical phrase, to the start of a scale or arpeggio motion. Today, I want us to actually end our musical phrase with the use of lower and upper neighboring tones. And as we did last week, we are going to continue using the C minor sound. And of course, everything that I am applying to the minor sound today you can apply to a major sound or to a dominant sound, half diminished or diminished as well. And likewise, I want to also stress that when we talk about lower and upper neighboring tones, you can either choose to be faithful to a chord scale relationship to a mode, right? So uh, you can say C minor, we're going to use Dorian mode. So my lower and upper neighboring tones are always going to use a, a scale tone, right? Either that scale tone may be a half step below or a diatonic note or a whole step above. So you can either remain faithful to a mode or you can choose to be faithful to a pattern. And that's what I did last week. And that's what I'm going to do today. And the pattern is simply this, regardless of the mode, our lower neighboring tone is always going to be a half step below. And our upper neighboring tone is always going to be a whole step above. And when doing this, What happens is when you remain faithful to to a pattern instead of a mode, it actually increases uh, the utilization of outside notes. Tension, notes that are going to cause tension in your musical line. So just be aware of that. Uh, Some of these lower and upper neighboring tones, when one begins to start utilizing them, uh, can cause uh, the ears to go... uh, man that doesn't sound right um and just know that the degrees of tension uh will vary a little bit not just not just with the outside notes themselves but the placement of those outside notes so if you start maybe if you start your musical line at the on the uh, downbeat of 1 that's going to sound very different than if you started your musical line on the upbeat of count 4 right so some experimentation is going to be needed on your end. Uh, today, I'm going to be modeling everything using right on the downbeat of one, right on the downbeat of one. Even if it's an outside note, I, I'm going to play it on the strong beat. So it's going to create some tension indeed. So now that now that we know that I'm going to remain faithful to a pattern for my lower and upper neighboring tones, half step below my target note, whole step above. I want to go through our lower and upper neighboring tones for C minor. So for the root C, I'm going to be using B as my lower neighboring tone, D as my upper neighboring tone, and then of course the note C. For the note E-flat for the third, I'm going to use as my lower neighboring tone D, my upper neighboring tone is going to be a whole step above my E-flat, which is going to be F. And then my third E flat. For the target note, fifth is going to be the note G. My lower neighboring tone is going to be F sharp. My upper neighboring tone is going to be A. And then, of course, my fifth G. My seventh B flat. My lower neighboring tone is going to be A. My upper neighboring tone is going to be C. And then, of course, the seventh. B-flat. For my ninth, which is D, my lower neighboring tone is going to be C-sharp, my upper neighboring tone is going to be E, and then of course the ninth D. And there's a good example of what I'm talking about. C-sharp is definitely outside the C minor harmonic sound, and E is definitely outside. So you have two outside notes being played and resolving to the ninth D, which is an inside note. So that's going to be quite a bit more tension than, say, uh, my D, F, and E flat on my third. All right? So just be aware of that. Okay, now the first thing I want to do, as always, I'm going to do just a little warm-up. And I encourage you to do the exact same thing. The warm-up being uh, where you just take time to circle each of the chord tones, right? Each of the chord tones that I just went through and outlined with you. So I want to outline my root or circle my root, I should say. Circle my third using lower and upper neighboring tones. Circle my fifth, my seventh, and my ninth, right? So I'm just going to play C minor, and I'm going to go through each one of these, right? And you're going to hear on the recording, right, on the demonstration here, you're going to hear me spend a little time on the root, circling it a couple times. And then I move to the third, I move to the fifth, the seventh, and the ninth. Now, you can do this a variety of ways. This is just one way in which I'm doing it. I'm also doing it at a tempo of 140, which is a pretty quick clip. And I'm just doing that for the sake of time. I encourage you to actually play at slower tempos and tempos that are comfortable for you. As always, every exercise that you do, uh, whether it's a warm-up exercise or uh, an exercise spe- uh, focusing on a specific jazz piano skill, every exercise should be played at a comfortable tempo. This, it's, you're never in a speed race, right? And oftentimes when you increase speed, quite oftentimes the musicianship suffers. Do not allow that to happen. Everything should be played very musically. Right? It should be musical. So, okay. So here we go. I'm gonna bring in the ensemble. Let's listen to this first demonstration. I'm just gonna spend some time uh, getting used to letting my fingers get used to the shapes of the lower and upper neighboring tones around the main chord tones. And also let my ears Digest these sounds as well. So let's bring in the ensemble, let's check it out, and then we'll go from there. Okay, here we go. Cool, right? Very musical. Uh, Also, did you did you notice how you know by repeating it just a couple times? And of course, if I was doing this for real and practicing it, I would I would repeat each one several times. Again, just getting used to the geographical location, the root, the third, fifth, seventh, ninth, the lower and upper neighboring tones around each of the main target notes, and also allowing my ears to digest the various sounds of inside and outside uh, tension notes uh, that are being used as a result of using the lower and upper neighboring tones. Especially when I get up on the top end of the sound up there on the ninth, the uh, lower and upper neighboring tones create quite a bit of tension, both being outside and actually even more tension than normal because they're in isolation. They're not, we're not going anywhere with these sounds, right? So we're kind of just sitting there on that tension but nevertheless it's a great time to allow your ears to focus on that sound and to digest and get familiar with and comfortable with that tension okay so now that we've done our warm up we've spent some time with the lower and upper neighboring tones for the root third fifth and seventh and ninth now let's let's put together some melodic ideas and let's do so, you know, last week we circled the start of our musical phrase. So for instance, if I was going to launch, launch my musical phrase on the root and just play an arpeggio like C, E, flat, and G, what we did, we, we circled that C initially with our lower and upper neighboring tones and then let the rest of the arpeggio unfold from there. So we'd get that we'd get that sound really nice. Or if we're going to do the scale, same approach, but then complete the musical phrase using scale motion. Just like that, right? Circle the root. Ascend to the fifth. Well, today, we're actually going to start the exact same way, but we're going to add... The lower and upper neighboring tones to the top note of the arpeggio or the top note of the scale. And for now, each one, the arpeggio and the scale, is only going to travel the distance of a root. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, the distance of a fifth. So if I start on the root, right, and I go up, I circle my C, now my E-flat. And now I'm going to circle my fifth. So I get. Now it's starting to sound like a very hip jazz idea. Very nice. Or if I do the scale. Again. Very nice. So it's interesting, right? Putting, circling the first note of the arpeggio circling the last note of the arpeggio or circling the first note of the scale and circling the last note of the scale wow talk about disguising the arpeggio and the scale it certainly does the trick so let's let's hear this in musical in a musical setting in musical context let's bring the ensemble back in and now i'm going to spend some time approaching it in the following way I'm going to begin by just focusing on my entry point and my destination point. So I'm going to circle my root. Now I'm going to circle my fifth. I'm going to circle my root, circle my fifth. Once I'm comfortable with that, then I'm going to add in my arpeggio motion. And you're going to hear me do that a couple times. Once I'm comfortable with that, I'm going to convert it to scale motion. Right? It's very nice. So, let's bring the ensemble and let's check it out. Let's listen to it and see what we think. Here we go. <laughs> Very nice. Wow. That sounds great. I don't know about you, but that sounds great. By just putting the lower and upper neighboring tones at the front of my musical line and at the back of my musical line, it really starts to take on a jazz articulation, a jazz feel, a jazz sound. Very cool. Okay, so now let's shift our attention to a different region of the minor sound. Instead of focusing on the root to the fifth, we are now going to focus on the third to the seventh. However, we are going to apply, because we're using a, systematical, a systematic and methodical approach, right, we are going to apply the exact same process. So we're going to circle our third and then our seventh. Our third, our seventh. Now we're going to come out of that with an arpeggio, or we're going to come out of it with a scale, right? So again, isolate the the third, the seventh, insert arpeggio motion, insert scale motion. So now let's bring in the ensemble and let's listen to how this sounds in a musical setting, in a musical context. So here we go. Let's check it out. Nice. Very nice. Same approach, right? Same process, just a different region of the sound, and it takes on an entirely new sound. So, the same will be said for traveling from the 5th to the ninth, from the 7th to the 11th, and from the ninth to the 13th. So, let's move on, and let's hear what those sound like. So, now we're going to focus on the 5th, as our entry point, going to the ninth. And remember that ninth, we have both our lower and upper neighboring tones being outside. So we have our fifth, our ninth. We're gonna insert the arpeggio. Very nice. And we're gonna insert our scale. Wow. Just, you know, actually just listening to them without even putting them in a musical setting or context, they sound fantastic. But let's bring in the ensemble. Let's hear these now with uh, a musical backdrop, and let's hear how these lower and upper neighboring tones affect the fifth and the ninth as we play our scales and our arpeggio. Here we go. Let's check it out. Right. Even the upper, uh, you know, the, uh, the ninth, the upper extension of the sound, right. With the lower and upper neighboring tones, uh, creating that tension. Even after you play it and listen to it, you start to go, wow, man, that sounds pretty hip. Right. And again, remember, we're just, we're just dissecting that minor sound or we're, we're cutting out little regions and applying these neighboring tones to create little patterns that would be, um, uh, would be um, expanded or broadened in, in a real improvisational setting. Uh, however, we have to begin with the patterns before we can do that, right? So um, anyway, to help you with that, uh, I want to make mention of the Jazz Piano Skills courses that are available as well. Uh, many of you already know about them, but for those of you that are new to the Jazz Panel Skills podcast, I want to Make sure that you are aware that there is a jazz piano curriculum available at jazzpianoskills.com. This curriculum is like the uh, podcast guides on steroids, right? Um, They are invaluable sequential self-paced courses packed with lessons addressing and focusing on a very specific jazz piano skill. Um, They have detailed instruction and illustrations each lesson. Each lesson has in-depth educational talks, interactive learning media, traditional guides and worksheets that you can download and utilize as well. High-definition video demonstrations. I play everything in all 12 keys so you can see fingerings and hand movement as well. Play-along tracks and lead sheets that you can utilize. And, of course, professional and personal educational support, and to make it really convenient, mobile access to this material, to all the courses and the lessons from your desktop, your laptop, from your phone, to your tablet, to your TV, to your watch, right? Any of your smart devices. So be sure to check out the Jazz Piano Skills courses at jazzpianoskills.com. Okay, so now we have we have looked at the third to the fifth, I'm sorry, the root to the fifth, the third to the seventh, and the fifth to the ninth. So now let's turn our attention to the seventh to the 11th. So we're going to, again, use the exact same process. Our systematic and methodical approach is that we circle our seventh, our entry point, And now we're going to circle our 11th using lower and upper neighboring tones. Lower neighboring tone, a half step below our target entry point, which is our B flat, right? And the upper neighboring tone being a whole step above our B flat. So we put it together. And now the 11th the same way, E, G, and F. So now that we've established our entry and our destination point, let's insert the arpeggio. Nice. And we'll insert the scale. Very nice. So let's bring in our ensemble. Let's hear how this region of the minor sound sounds when we apply our lower and upper neighboring tones to the seventh and to the 11th so here we go let's check it out think our our goal here is definitely being met. And our goal is to disguise our scale and arpeggio motion, right? And right now we're using just ascending motion, but we could do this exact same thing descending with these patterns. So using lower and upper neighboring tones on the front end and the back end of our line certainly takes the edge off it being just a scale or an arpeggio that you're playing. So now we have uh, one left, one more to do. And we're going to do this uh, with our entry point being the ninth, which is going to be our D, traveling to the A or to the 13th. So we're going to circle our 9, and then we're going to circle our 13. Our 9, our thirteen. Once we, once we have established those two points, now we're going to circle our ninth and insert the arpeggio. Very cool. And we're going to insert the scale. Wow. Now keep in mind, there's going to be a little tension here, right? These are, are, we're using outside notes as our lower and upper neighboring tones. Uh, So they're going to create a little tension. But let's bring in the ensemble and let's hear how this tension sounds as we apply the lower and upper neighboring tones to the 9th and to the 13th. Here we go. Check it out. Certainly some bite, right? Some tension, but probably not as much as you anticipated, especially when we have those lower and upper neighboring tones on both ends of our musical phrase. So now you have some practicing to do, right? Take any sound. Today we used minor, but it can be major, dominant, half diminished, and diminished. Establish, make sure you establish, of course, your root, third, fifth, seventh, ninth. Identify the lower and upper neighboring tones using a pattern, a formula. Half step below for the lower neighboring tone, whole step above for the upper neighboring tone. Spend some time circling those main primary target notes within the sound. Once comfortable with that, insert arpeggio or scale motion between your entry point and your destination point. You're going to be amazed at what starts to evolve, what starts to develop, and how you can then use those patterns to begin developing jazz vocabulary for your improvisation. Well, I hope you have found this Jazz Piano Skills Podcast lesson on neighboring tones to be very insightful, and of course, to be very beneficial. And don't forget, I'll see you Thursday evening, Jazz Piano Skills Masterclass at 8 p.m. Central Time to discuss this podcast episode, to discuss neighboring tones in greater detail, and to answer any questions that you may have about this lesson or the study of jazz in general. So I look forward to meeting you Thursday evening, 8 p.m. Also, make sure you download the educational guides for this podcast episode at jazzpanelskills.com. Again, they are a tremendous resource that will expedite your discover, learn, and play process. They're going to maximize your musical growth. And while you're there, you should check out the Jazz Panel Skills courses as well, and the Jazz Panel Skills forums. Make sure you join the forum, meet some new friends, get involved and uh, share your expertise and also allow others to help you in this process as well. So as always, you can reach me by phone at 972-380-8050, extension 211, or by email drlawrence at jazzpianoskills.com, or speakpipe. A nice little handy widget found on the Jazz Piano Skills website in the educational guides and the Jazz Piano Skills courses as well. So that's it for now. And until next week, enjoy this amazing journey. And most of all, have fun as you discover, learn, and play jazz piano.